0: If you grew up in the early 2000s or in the late 90s, you've probably heard about the War on Christmas. Ah, a bug. It's the idea that by replacing the words Merry Christmas with Happy Holidays or maybe another slogan, people are somehow trying to diminish this Christian celebration and turn it into a basic, secular day for the whole world to enjoy so that that baby Jesus doesn't run around in his diapers destroying everything. So you don't wanna see a close-up picture of my anus cause you hate gay men. I, for one, don't mind Happy Holidays so much because most people don't even know that Christmas stands for Christ's mass. And after all, the vast majority of people think a mass is just something a cancer patient suffers from. Happy Holidays gives the impression that Christmas is a holy day. After all, that's what holiday means. And that it's not just one day, but it's multiple days culminating in a grand celebration of the birth of our Lord. Yet Christmas has in the name of Christ. So I like Christmas too. But there is this premonition that this isn't just a matter of semantics as much as it is a war on Christianity by a group of people who resent that Christianity is a dominant force in the West. So they invent holidays to supersede it. As a rain blows upon him, a new holiday was born like the way the LGBTQ activists invented the notion of two-spirit, the idea that a person can possess the spirit of a man and the spirit of a woman, whatever that actually means. Man, I feel like a woman. But if you've been paying attention by now, you understand that the LGBTQ attempt to try to retcon this idea of two-spirit is something that was never found in indigenous culture and is something that was just made up by them. You sit on a throne of lies. But if you've been paying attention, you understand that two-spirit is nothing more than a fabrication created by LGBTQ activists and actually isn't found in indigenous culture. And even if you did find a notion like it, there is no ancient culture that actually believed a man could be a woman or a woman could be a man. I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Needless to say, like that invention is the invention of Kwanzaa, a holiday that no one ever asked for, that Africans do not celebrate, and that only two lonely Americans tried to observe. Everyone sees this for what it is. It's the desire to supplant Christianity with an endless regression of ideas that are nowhere near as powerful or meaningful as what Christmas is really about. The same war was felt when last week Michael Cassidy, a veteran and Christian, pushed over a satanic statue in the Iowa State Capitol. Progressives absolutely lost their mind online and declared this an act of aggression that is common amongst right-wing Christians these days. And... Uh, atypical for Christian behavior. After all, Jesus never destroyed the nice Satanist statues in his day. Well, he did turn over tables and the prophets sure did destroy pagan idols. And in keeping with Christmas, let's not forget our buddy Saint Nick, who not only slapped Arius in the face, but also destroyed the temple to Diana in his city. Jesus Christ. That's for blasphemy. I love that jolly old St. Nick. Needless to say, Michael was told that we have laws of due process and you're supposed to use your words, Michael, not your, not your hands. All of that may have a minuscule point, if not for the fact that some people decrying Michael's motives and his actions had little to say about the rioters and looters burning Bibles and American flags in the city streets of Portland a couple years back. Because why? That's free speech, they told us. This is the hallmark of American democracy. Torching our nation's flag and burning Bibles in city streets. Well, that's just part of what it means to be American. God bless the USA. And how about this? You never heard them complain about the 90-year-old statue of Jesus that was toppled over and beheaded by vandals at a church just a couple years back. Why didn't the left have outrage then, like they do now? It's simple because they didn't know about it because they really don't care. And they really don't care about Satanists and their rights now either. They just hate the dominant form of Christianity in the West and they want it toppled like that statue of Jesus. All the talk of free speech and property rights in the people's capital is all a cover. Everyone knows that Satanism isn't a religion. Their sole purpose in existing is to mock Christians. We all know that to accommodate every person's supposed religion in a state capital would become an unmitigated disaster. Like where do we draw the line there? While some take the unthinkable position that that means, well, we should just throw out all religious observance or anything that honors religion, Um, In in any state capital, I rather suggest we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and that we just get really honest for once, that we actually use our minds and think for ourselves, and understand Christianity is dominant in our culture because it is self-evidently better and by that deserves overt celebration while Satanism does not. Let's take a brief stroll through some logical evidence to prove that. Christianity helps civilize the known world and provide rights to women, among others, that were beforehand unknown, as atheist and historian and author Tom Holland points out. So, check mark for Christianity. Satanism, not so much. Christian evangelicals are the most charitable people in the United States, outgiving all other people to charitable causes by about 40%. And that's per capita, by the way. So, Christianity, again, check. Satanist, no, try to find a single one who gives regularly to any charitable cause. Abolish slavery in the First Great Awakening, paving the way for the civil rights movement in America. Christianity checks, Satanism again. Absolutely not. I can go on and on showing you how superior Christianity has been in the West and how it has made your life better. So before you get too angry, maybe you should open the pages of a history book or maybe just look around you but that is almost a lesson in futility as we no longer live in a nation that desires to have a nuanced conversation about the good and what truth actually is. Rather, we're told to respect all ideas as equal for the sake of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Jesus wasn't inclusive of all ideas, and neither will I be, so I'll say as Stanley did. I want Christmas. Just give me plain baby Jesus lying in a manger Christmas. So in the war on Christmas, guess who wins? Not the progressive, not the liberal theologian, just good old-fashioned traditional Christmas. And if you don't like that, well, all I can say to you is, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal, and welcome to Windy Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to have an amazing Christmas. This is our last episode before the new year, so I thoroughly hope you enjoy it and your family celebration of our Lord and Savior. Now, if the show has benefited you in any way, I want to highly encourage you to support what we're doing here. It's too late for you to go to our Herbal Alchemy store, but you can go to the link on the screen now or go to the description of this podcast, where you can give a tax-deductible donation to help us not only continue the great work that we're doing here at IndieThinker, Thinker, but also expand it to great new content. In fact, we produced a brand new show this past year called Podcast to the Church, and the second episode was just released last Wednesday. If you haven't seen it, you need to go back and check it out. We had an amazing conversation with a, a panel of other Christian thinkers talking about pronoun usage, human sexuality, and how to have kind but honest and um, you know, assertive conversations about this subject as it is deeply needed in our culture today. So I highly encourage you to, to check that out. Uh, but if you've enjoyed any of the content that we've produced on the show in the past and wanna see us do some new things in the future, then I highly encourage you, again, to go to the description of this podcast where you can give a tax-deductible donation to help IndieThinker continue the great work we're doing here. Well, The War on Christmas is kind of taking an interesting turn as the Pope just recently stated that the Catholic Church would now bless homosexual unions. CBS News reports this, that Pope Francis has formally approved allowing priests to bless same-sex couples with a new document released Monday explaining a radical change in Vatican policy by insisting that people seeking God's love and mercy shouldn't be subject to an exhaustive moral analysis to receive it one should not prevent or prohibit the church's closeness to people in every situation in which they might seek God's help through a simple blessing, the document from the Vatican's doctrine office says. But the shift in policy doesn't change the church's position on marriage. Now, I just want to go through that very briefly with you because there is a couple of things that I think deserve to uh, be recognized here. And so the first one is this, is that an exhaustive moral analysis is not necessary to receive blessing. Well, the whole point of blessing is to help affirm on earth what God is affirming in heaven. So there is actually an exhaustive moral analysis that is necessary for some things because you don't want to go around blessing things that God doesn't bless or do you. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting about the Pope's comments is that um, he says that people who are pursuing closeness to God um, need not to be hindered uh, by, by, by the church. Well, the last I checked, the church also was supposed to be, you know, at least the Pope was supposed to be the vicar of Christ and was supposed to be a math, mouthpiece for Christ and tr- to try to help people understand what closeness to Christ actually looks like. And along with that is behavior. You know, I think we can all agree that if you say that you believe in Jesus, act like you believe in the devil uh, talk like you believe in the devil, and basically everybody else around you thinks you're the devil, then you're probably not a Christian. Um, and so the whole idea is, is that Christianity is something and not other things, unless we live in a pluralistic society that is totally mentally and spiritually bankrupt and doesn't understand the difference between two things, which I think is one of the issues here that I, that I, that I believe is very important. So let me just summarize real, real carefully so that we understand. What's interesting about the Pope's statement is not that that he is calling the Catholic Church to consummate marriages officially. So he's not saying that the Catholic Church can officiate gay unions. But what he is saying is that you can bless gay couples. So it seems an odd distinction. But with that distinction, boom, presto. Just like magic, the leftists and progressive Christians all over social media, all of a sudden, have a soft place in their heart for the hierarchical, patriarchal, abusive institution of the Catholic Church that before the Pope said this was simply just an institution that abused people and especially small altar boys. Uh, But now, all of a sudden, there's a strange new respect that comes to them. So there's just a couple of things that I think is important about pointing out here. First and foremost is this will never be enough. Just blessing same-sex couples but not consummating those marriages or officiating those marriages will never be enough for the LGBTQ community. And why? Well, simply because they have a valid argument. And the argument is, what's the difference between blessing our marriage and actually officiating our marriage? Now, I'm not a Catholic, so I cannot tell you. But at least as far as I can tell, the only difference is one of semantics. So what is the difference? Well, I don't think there's one, which leads us to the ultimate conclusion here, and this is the ultimate point, that the Pope, we know what he's doing. All he seems to be doing is solemnizing gay marriage, or at least pushing the Catholic Church closer to the point of solemnizing the gay marriage. Here's what he had to say about that. People seeking a transcendent relationship with God and looking for his love and mercy should not be subject to an exhaustive moral analysis as a precondition for receiving it. Uh, Well, yes, you should. And here's why. Because if you don't, you run the risk of actually taking a word and demolishing its definition. The exhaustive moral analysis that goes into marriage, one of the greatest and most important building blocks of any society, is there so that we can appropriately understand what marriage is. Now, especially when it becomes a religious idea, we want to understand clearly what it is so that we can know that God is truly blessing it. Otherwise, all we have is a man blessing, it, and what does his blessing have over God's blessing? So yes, we want a, an exhaustive moral analysis, making sure that we clearly define what marriage is. And when we do, we understand that marriage is something but not other things. And here is the real point at the end of the day. The slow creep of leftism and, and I would even say woke ideology, the woke mind virus, into the church is A overt attempt to try to destroy meaning. So as the attack on marriage, so is the attack on Christmas. It is is a desire to undermine scriptural interpretations of reality and replace it with leftist interpretation. Now you might say, if you're a leftist, well that's a good thing, but that's fine. Just don't call yourself a Christian because last I checked, The Bible is kind of that authoritative uh, place to understand what Jesus was, was talking about and what he believed. And I understand, the people who disagree with me, I've probably already lost, but if you're still around and listening, I hope you listen very carefully because what's at stake here is not just the slow creep of immorality in one of the most important institutions in America, but it is also the inability to define that which is sacred. And if nothing is sacred in society, then nothing will be protected. And eventually, it will impact you, whether you think it is already or not. So the slow creep of immorality, we've seen it and and seen the way the left has done it. And they've been quite successful at it. Incrementally, they've gone from safe, legal, and rare in the case of abortion to uh, safe, legal, and accessible. Why did they do that? Well, because they know that if they go with safe, legal, and rare, then the rare part of that, they must define the sanctity of human life to necessitate the word rare. Well, they didn't want to do that. and So with one fell swoop, uh, the Democratic caucus just recently came out and said, well, we're changing it to safe, legal, and accessible. And with just the stroke of a pen, the sanctity of life has been changed. And we also know the idea of the privacy of our own bedroom and what two consenting adults do has quickly changed into let your freak flag fly and let the kids see it. If there is nothing sacred in our society, then there is no one who is safe. As Martin Niemöller said, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and then they came... For me, but there was no one left to speak out. I'll be the first to say if the leftist or the liberal or the communist has a point, they're right in what they say, then I want to be the first one to stand beside them and say, let the truth win. Let the best ideas win. Fortunately, I can say that with full assurance that Christianity has the best ideas and those are the ideas that should win. And if we do not stand for them, we will find that there is much more crumbling underneath our feet, as we'll see in our next story, where a pornographic homosexual sex tape was filmed in the Senate hearing room in our state Capitol. Now, we were told that January 6th was such a horrific attack on democracy, such a a horrible thing because our institutions in America are holy and sacred, and these are hollowed halls where our laws are made. But of course we know that's absolutely ridiculous, because it's not. For years we've known that the vast majority of people that make up our political class are a bunch of moral reprobates who do these kind of things. And this congressional staffer who filmed himself having gay sex in this hearing room where the likes of Sotomayor was granted her position as a Supreme Court justice, we know that these people actually don't care about what sacred is. And like our first story, I hope you understand that not having a concept of what is sacred, what is holy, is actually a very, very dangerous thing for a society. Now, there's just a couple things to mention here. First and foremost, the individual who was caught because he himself posted this homosexual pornographic sex tape of him Uh, in the state Capitol hearing room, uh, said that after he was fired, that he was going to consider pressing charges because he was being uh, unfairly treated because he is gay. Yep, that's right. He is a victim. And as we know, all victims have special status here in America and should be given a level of treatment that nobody else in America ever gets. Again, this shows us that the people who cry out for inclusivity, who cry out for equal treatment, aren't really after equal treatment. They're not after truth. They're simply after extortion. And secondly, and most importantly, I have to make a point about moral relativism here that also goes in line with the Pope, you know, uh, blessing same-sex unions. I just have a quick question at the end of the day. If the left is really right, if the LGBTQ activist is really right, and the definition of marriage is in the eye of the beholder, and morality from a Christian perspective doesn't really exist, you know, that's your truth, and I have my truth, and we all need to celebrate our own individual truths. If that's really true, then I have a quick question for you. Why is what this individual did wrong? Why is the complete mockery of our democracy with things like people flashing? Uh, uh, cameras and making those videos on social media, you know, on the White House lawn. Why is any of that out of bounds? Why is it wrong? If there is no really, if there is no real moral code, if there is no real moral standard by which we should subject ourselves to, regardless of our personal preference, then why is it wrong what this staffer did? it all brings us back to the point that we actually need to define reality. We need to define morality, and we need our religious leaders to help us do that. And at the end of the day, if you're afraid of that being undertaken by religious people, then I would say we actually get serious about pluralism and we get serious about the marketplace of ideas. And we actually discuss which ideas deserve to rise to the top because I guarantee you, Christianity, like the cream, will come to the top, which is why these people actually aren't interested in really thorough, thoroughly debating these ideas or really hashing out our differences. They just want to shame you and emotionally blackmail you because they know that they have little argument to stand on, no legs to stand on, because they're too busy on all fours, I suppose. And, and, and that's why we don't have a conversation in America today as to how do we define morality? What morality should we, should we encourage and endorse? And what actually is morality at the end of the day? No, instead we're given woke mind virus talking points and told that uh, we're, we're supposed to respect all ideas as though they are equal, even though we know deep down they are not. The moral does seem to emerge the more we see the left doing their thing doesn't it and if we're going to be serious about actually caring about the future of this nation and actually caring about doing what is right then we're going to have to have a conversation once again on a national scale as to what constitutes morality what constitutes truth until we do that we'll simply be making a mockery of every single one of our institutions. All right, let's jump into our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh God of pronouns. Well, the war on Christmas was an external battle where Christians felt like there were others trying to secularize Christmas. And while there is some merit to that and there are still the kind of secular progressives out there and the atheists who are still living on the fart fumes of Dawkins and Hitchens and Sam Harris, um, by and large, to be honest, that has given way to a new crop of progressives who realize that their battle from the outside Uh, of Christianity trying to destroy it was never going to work because Christianity tends to have a little bit of resilience. But their battle from the inside of Christianity actually might work. Their long march through the institutions hasn't just ended in the political and in the academic, but it has also gone full force into Christianity. And so now there's a group of people out there who wish to celebrate Christmas by endorsing the ideas of socialism. That's right, Marx right now is rejoicing in hell because there are a group of Christians who are foolish enough to believe that his ideas find a perfect place in harmony with Christ's ideas. I know, ridiculous. But this was on full display last week uh, with this post that popped up on my feed on X. What sins did I commit in a previous life to have to be exposed to this insipid nonsense on X? Uh, I don't know, but since Eastern philosophy is total nonsense, I don't really have to worry about it. But before I show you who posted this, I want you to kind of just explore with me this picture and the idea that this is what the Magnificat is all about. This is what Mary was, was meaning to communicate to the world that she is stepping on the powerful and those oppressors are now going to uh, be oppressed because of the feminine power of Mary as she shoves her fist into the air and, and promotes her feminist intersectionality all while poo-pooing anybody that has any level of wealth because she's gonna destroy the rich. At first glance, I didn't recognize that this even was scripture because it is so redwashed, so odd was it that I had to look twice and then reflect upon what it is actually trying to communicate. And as you can tell, not only is this individual misquoting scripture, but they're also taking it radically out of context. As a result, I posted this. And essentially I said, all of these phrases go right in line with workers of the world unite. I think we found that in the Bible too. In response to this, you would think Christmas came early for progressive Christians. Now, for their part, I understand their, their initial reaction. Their shallow view of scripture is so easily destroyed that they look for any opportunity to rejoice that they might be able to do it to a conservative Christian. So they believed it was their moment in the sun, their coup de grace had come. For the first time in their lives, they were able to post pictures of the Bible instead of trash it. And they encouraged a conservative to read it without any sense of irony. Their contention was that uh, I was mistaken and that this actually was in scripture and that I didn't know that and how foolish of me, go get a Bible. How could I be a cultural apologist and not know that this is clearly from scripture? Uh, This from a group of people that wouldn't hesitate to overlook obvious restrictions on sexual perversion and would trash scripture any day of the week if it didn't fit their narrative. And now they're insisting that we read the Bible, kind of weird. True enough, the quotation is from the Bible. That's not my contention. There's just a couple of problems. My contention was that the picture is misquoting the Magnificat and the picture is also wildly taking what the Magnificat's purpose was out of context. First, my contention that this individual misquoted the Bible can easily be misunderstood. I'm not saying that they didn't take words of scripture No, I'm saying that they did, but they misquoted it another way by leaving out vital and important aspects of what was actually said. A keen eye will quickly see that these verses are oddly missing the end statements in both places where it says, uh, cast uh, cast down the mighty and send away the rich. It does not say send away the rich. It says send away the rich empty. Before I even share who the person is that posted this, you already are getting an impression of what they are after. They want you to think that Mary is sticking it to the rich and powerful, that the Bible is the perfect place to seek your Marxist justification for revolution. And, defense, and, the, defense of their, and the defense of their omission is just simply that, oh, well, this is just a paraphrase, a simple omission of unnecessary info that doesn't change the meaning at all. But of course, that would be like saying, there's a seat reserved for you. Well, that message sounds cozy, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I forgot to add, there's a seat reserved for you in hell. Kind of changes the meaning, doesn't it? When you actually finish the thought. The same is true here. How do you send the rich away empty? Sorry, socialists, it isn't by taking their money and then redistributing it. Uh, God is not Robin Hood. The way you send them away empty is the same way Jesus sent the rich young ruler away empty. He sent him away with the knowledge that materialism does not fill the soul. There's just no way to pull the Magnificat from its original intended context and misquote it this way, unless you have an agenda, which leads us to the second misquotation, which will hopefully reveal what that agenda is. Mary says that God wants to remove the powerful from their thrones, so God isn't just getting rid of the powerful to make a bunch of resentful underachievers happy. Nope. He is removing powerful leaders from their thrones because there is only one throne, and Jesus sits upon it. Jesus is not concerned with with removing kings from power. The disciples asked Jesus to return the kingdom of Israel to them from those oppressive Romans in Acts 1, and Jesus rebuked them because he is not after an earthly kingdom. The obvious point is that the only throne that matters has been filled by Jesus already. That throne was replaced with a manger. God is not up to restorative justice or destroying the oppressor and oppressed matrix. God doesn't eat the rich because the Magnificat has nothing to do with socialism. It has nothing to do with left-wing ideology. And in fairness, it has nothing to do with right-wing ideology. It has nothing to do with that because it is about Jesus in his birth. Jesus's birth exposes materialism as an empty pursuit and he will expose all the powers of this world as weak compared to him. That's what this is about. To exalt a social agenda over and above the real purpose of the worship of Christ is frankly anti-Christian. The real purpose of the Magnificat should bring rejoicing to a real Christian, but the progressive Christian only rejoices over social revolution. It is only when trans people get their wings by chopping off their genitalia that we can actually rejoice if you're in the progressive Christian community. In short, this person is dead wrong and potentially even more. So wrong is this post that it's not even interesting to point out that it's wrong, that is obvious. What is important and why I wanted to share it with you in this segment of the show is why the person is so wrong. On the screen now you can see the bio of the person who calls himself a wife and a father. Billy, obviously, Billy is obviously very confused as to what he actually is. Um, and obviously, I guess confused about what a mother and a father is as, as well, which shouldn't come as any surprise because he's actually also confused as to what a theologian is. And then he also calls himself an anarchic pacifist. Um, so, and basically those people are anarchic, but they're pacifists, so they don't believe in violence because they want anarchy because they believe all power is violence and violence would just be another form of power. And so they want all power destroyed. But here's the real problem with that totally incoherent worldview is that the only way to implement anarchy will be with a bloodbath. Exactly how would you expect to implement the ideas of anarchy while there are people in power all over the world, if you don't intend on destroying the people who are presently in power? Now, forgive me. I know I can be sarcastic and call insipid ideas insipid, but I don't want you to hear me saying that this person is just deeply confused because they're just dishonest or even that they're stupid. In fact, even in the hive of scum and villainy that makes up the Marxist Christian communities out there on the Internet, there's smart people among them. Uh, Well, that is to say, they are only dumb in the same way that all of us are dumb. None of us have perfect theology, and we can all make mistakes when it comes to Scripture. As it is said, to err is to be human. But the errors here are not just your run-of-the-mill mistakes, and this is why it's important to note The kind of error on display here is actually potentially very dangerous. The Bible is supposed to be a place where you can come to have your preconceived notions checked at the door. The place where you can be corrected in your presuppositional thinking. Progressive Christians like the one who posted this picture and the ones who commented on my response are exactly the kind of people who are at the most risk of inherent contradiction. And here's why. Essentially, they put their ideas before the text of scripture. Essentially, the charge here is that Progressive Christians like this one are engaging in eisegesis rather than exegesis. Eisegesis is the practice of taking your presuppositions and reading it into the text. Exegesis is the practice of trying to eliminate all of those presuppositions, going to the text, and then drawing meaning from the text directly. Now, nobody is perfect at this, but the person who intentionally practices eisegesis is playing a dangerous game. It's a lesson to all of us. If there is nothing more sacred than your agenda, we invite more than error. This brand of Christianity places activism before truth. They care about their agenda first and everything else second. This makes them more than just hypocrites. They can critique conservative Christians for being fascists and nationalists, all while they use the Bible for their pet social justice causes, but never venture into noticing that murder in the womb is actually a violation of the tenets of scripture. So it makes them more than just a hypocrite here though. It makes them actually pretty dangerous. The dangerous part of their agenda is driven by the fact that a whole panoply of evil can be justified for the sake of their agenda. The Bible is supposed to be one of the few places in society where you can go to allow your preconceived notions to be corrected. Real Christians put their agenda in check every time they read the Bible. They have a higher authority in their life And it should be a control mechanism to prevent the kind of excesses that people have done with the Bible in the past. In other words, the kind of progressive Christianity that we see here suffers from the philosophy of utilitarianism. And by that, it is very dangerous. I don't mean to come off as speaking hyperbolic here. The progressive Christian community is a bunch of limp-wristed keyboard warriors by and large. But that might be because they're so few in number in mass, the kind of utilitarianism they practice has been responsible for some of the most atrocious violent crimes in history. That's why it's important to pay attention to these kind of people and who they are. While the left wing in America is shouting constantly about Christian nationalism, the kind of Christian evangelicals who make up the mainstream usually just desire moral reforms that do things like protect children in the womb and protect children from butcher shops. So forgive me, for recognizing the Pharisees out there and who they truly are. The ones who will truly be involved in the Inquisition are not evangelical Christians, but it's a group of progressive Christians that, say, eat the rich. The ones who will remove their body parts to fill their empty soul. These mentally unstable people are only a threat to themselves and their Bible right now. But with no limiting principle in their behavior, their Jesus becomes just another justification for their progressive agenda. A real Christian wants the Bible to quell their basic instincts and to curb their sinful nature. They want Jesus for Jesus' sake. They want their preconceived notions to crumble under the weight of authoritative scripture. In other words, they have a higher accountability structure than those on the left who will allow their presuppositions to influence everything they say and do regardless of what the Bible says. If the Bible stands in their way, well, they'll change it or just destroy it. And that kind of person shouldn't be trusted. Not to mention, could you imagine being so miserable, so unhappy that you actually care about how much money somebody else has? It's a recipe for a really horrible Christmas. It would be best to actually know what the Bible says Entirely. Should you focus on that this year, you'll have a very Merry Christmas, unlike the people who wish to pervert the true meaning of Christmas. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God. And have a very Merry Christmas.